and sit. Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are continuing on our, in our uh, message series we've called Caught in the Undertow. I love the image for the series. Uh, just it's a great idea Ian came up with, the guy who does our illustrations. But we're, we're looking to avoid a wipeout from the expectations and the pressures that can really crash down on us at the holiday season because the wave builds as, as the holidays come. Christmas is a time when we're celebrating what Jesus has done, what God did in sending his son into the world. Jesus stepped into the world to show us how to live, but more importantly, to bring eternal life. He died for us. He died as a payment for our own sin. And so he, he's the one that we're celebrating, but the pressure and the stress can make it very difficult to stay focused on the one we're celebrating, God himself. And so we're looking at some of the waves that come. And our hope in this series is, to help you identify common waves that unsettle us, and especially at the holidays, so we can see what the Bible says about dealing with those waves, how, how to handle the undertow, how to escape the undertow that's created by, by these waves. Last week, we talked about how to overcome the waves of demand that are created by our own expectations, by the expectations of others, that can begin to pull us under. This week, we're going to look at how the wave of comparison builds during the holidays and boosts envy and discontent. So it's comparison. that we're This wave, the waves of comparison that come. Just like waves build before uh, or more during the winter season in the ocean, they tend to crank up. That's when the surf's up here in our area. Waves of comparison can swell during the holidays. And each, each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a certain kind of wave uh, or a certain wave from a certain location uh, in the world. Last week, we looked at Chopu, how thick the wave is and how heavy that wave is and how it can hold you under. Um, and we're using the waves as sort of an illustration of how things affect us, or, or how that particular wave of, like last week, demand, this week, comparison, impacts us. This week, we're going to look at, uh, or we're, we're just using the wave that occurs at the wedge in Newport Beach as our illustration. Here, here's a, a picture of the wedge. And this, this is, that's a very big wave. And that's very close to the shore. That's called shore break. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy, frankly, to attempt to surf that way. But you can see a guy is attempting it. Um, that is huge. That, that is a 20-foot wave, or, or the waves we're going to see in the video that we're going to watch are 20 feet. Now, I, I confess I've done this. But it was only 12 to 15 feet. And it was, you know, I was in high school, 15 or so, and my mom didn't know, I guarantee you that. Uh, but it's, it's a little crazy 
Because you're out there, and the fascinating thing is, there is a crowd that gathers because it's so close to the shore. Check out this picture of the crowd. When it's blowing up, there is a crowd that gathers. And of course, this is why you do this when you're 15. Because the crowd's there. This is, this is awesome. And it, it sort of encourages you to do things that are crazy because you're competing for attention. From, from all the other surfers, you know, when the swells up, these crowds gather to just watch. And it, it becomes sort of a competition for the guys out there. Here's a video of some guys braving it and, and what it looks like. Look at that. I'm going to stand back. I'm going to stand back a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is, the wedge. That's uh, crazy because you can break things, legs, arms, neck, your neck. Um, but you're performing in front of a hundred, hundreds of people, and your life's in danger, but hey, I could get some glory before I go down. It's exciting to watch until somebody gets hurt, and then it, and then it just sort of makes you sick to your stomach. The wave of comparison is a lot like that. The holidays are great. I mean, it's, it's really a joy. We're looking forward to it. They're fun and they're meaningful until comparison takes you down. The wave of comparison will do that to you. Actually, what happens is comparison fuels jealousy. This, this is where it begins to start. When you compare yourself and, and what you want with what someone else has who has what you want, you're on your way to full-blown jealousy. Very destructive thing. Here's how comparison can cause us to spiral toward jealousy. It all starts with desire. This is normal. You want something. You may even long for that thing. You, you really, really want it. I want this. We're all a mixed bag of desires, good and bad. Uh, this is normal. It's the way we are. The way we're wired. When we compare what we have and what we want with what others have, and and when they have what we want, it's very easy to begin to covet. We want something someone else has because they have what I want. They have what I want. You shall not covet is the tenth commandment in the Big Ten, in the Ten Commandments. It's the last one. It's the last commandment. Because God wants us to stop at coveting because of where it leads. He, he just wants us to stop it. Don't do it. Don't get it. Don't, don't get in there because if you start coveting, you're in the undertow. 
and it, it's gonna it's gonna really hurt. So coveting flows into envy. I covet something another person has, and re- resentment begins to take root in me because they have it, and. Envy, coveting is dangerous. That's why God stops us there. He stops us. He wants us to stop at desire. And the ideal thing to do with your desires is to turn them over to God. Say, God, I really want this. This would be great. But I know, I know that you are in charge of what's best for me. And you're, you're going to give it to me if that's what's good. So we, we turn those over. So we, if we, if we stop there, we're good. We're just trusting God, walking by faith. If it's good for us, He'll give it to us. If it's not, He has a reason. For us, as, as clear as it would be to us that it would be good for us to have it, God has a reason for not giving it to us. So we turn the desires over to God, but if you get into coveting, boy, you're on the slide. You're, you're starting to get pulled under. And so coveting flows into envy, and this is when relationships start to sour. This is when the trouble begins. Envy easily spirals into jealousy. I envy another person. I feel that my rights have been violated because they have what I want. They have it. I should get it. I wanted it. And then I begin to treat them as an enemy. I feel it. It's burning. Jealousy burns. The word in the scripture for jealousy, it has a heat to it because it sticks in us and it burns in us. And we begin to treat them now as an enemy. This is why God says, don't covet. Just stop there. Don't do it. This shows also why comparison is so dangerous. Because we covet when we're looking around at what other people have, and when they have something we don't want, we covet what they have. We want it. I want it now. I deserve it. This is what I should have. Coveting or comparison gives birth to coveting, which can grow into jealousy and damage family relationships and friendships. This this is why we're to stay away from it. I'd like us to watch a video from uh, Dr. Nathan Lewis. Nathan, Nathan's part of our congregation. I asked him, it's, it's not some, the kind of production you'd see on 60 Minutes because I just asked him to answer some questions on an iPhone or a cell phone. He's, he's an Android guy. It's an Android phone. Um, but Nathan is a member of Church in the Valley. He has been uh, for over 25 years. He's also, for 35 years plus, has experience giving counsel to couples and individuals who are hurting and trying to unwind their problems. And he's helped me unwind a few. I'll say that for sure. He's also the director of the graduate program in counseling ministry at California Baptist University. And so here's a video answering some of the questions that I asked him to answer. The day after Thanksgiving, I was on Facebook and Instagram, and several people had posted pictures of their trees being put up and decorations around the house. 
and I immediately felt some anxiety because I hadn't hadn't begun to think about doing that yet, and I felt this uh, compulsion to then begin to do that. And some of you have probably had a similar kind of experience where you're comparing yourself to to somebody else, and then you feel this anxiety. Comparison is a normal part of everyday life. It's so natural we're not even aware of it, but what we are aware of is the anxiety that we feel when when we make that comparison. And we make the comparisons because we're naturally insecure. We we want to know that we are okay. And we believe that uh, our okayness is based on some standard of okayness that that comes from other people. And so we compare ourselves to others hoping to reassure ourselves that we really are okay. But the problem with that, though, is that instead of reassuring us, um, observing and experiencing what other people are doing in comparison to us actually increases our anxiety because we will never quite measure up. There will always be somebody who has more, does more, is better, uh, is quicker than we are. So that that's a, a no-win game that we play with ourselves. And this is exaggerated a um, hundredfold during the holidays. Uh, studies show that stress during the holidays increases, and it's very different than stress that we experience at other times of the year. While people do report uh, it, it is the season to be jolly, uh, feelings of love, happiness, and high spirits, uh, it's definitely higher stress time. And people report more negative emotions as well. And they, they, they have the Clark Griswold syndrome from Christmas vacation where everything has to be perfect for their families. Uh, but they experience emotions uh, like fatigue, stress, irritability, uh, bloating, sadness, anger, and loneliness. And basically, what happens is that the combined stresses of the holidays, increased expectations, working long hours, fighting traffic in crowds, finding time to fit shopping in, they they act like, I, I, I think about in Christmas vacation when, when the Griswolds find that perfect tree and the lights shine on it, this big giant spotlight shines on it, and the hallelujah chorus plays. That's kind of what I think of when what the stresses do. The stresses are like a big spotlight on us that reveals and exaggerates the worries that we already have uh, and face every day. And that includes comparing ourselves to others. Several things can trigger that comparison during the holidays. Receiving a Christmas card the day after Thanksgiving from from families. Um, The neighbors decorating the house. Some getting invited to, not getting invited to a party that other people get invited to. People talking about getting their kids expensive gifts that we can't afford and on and on and on, almost on a daily basis. And the anxiety that that produces is a problem in and of itself. But in addition to that, comparison can ignite a flame of jealousy that can lead to envy spiraling into eventually despair. And jealousy is just wanting what someone else has. 
envy goes further than that. If we entertain jealousy, that that grows into envy. And envy is not only wanting what they have, but being really bothered and even upset that they have it. And having difficulty rejoicing in, and being happy for them that they have it. And if envy continues, that can spiral into self-pity, discouragement, anger, and eventually despair. So comparison can be really toxic. And, uh, there are some things that we can do, though, to, to combat comparison, since the basis of comparison is really our, our security and some sense of okayness that we have. We really need to examine the basis of our okayness. When we find ourselves comparing, then we need to stop and think, wait a minute, what, what is the basis of my okayness here? And as, as followers of Christ... The basis of our okayness really comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And what he did, the sacrifice he made, is what makes us okay. That allows us to actually choose to stop comparing. Because comparison is a choice. The Bible says it's foolish for us to compare ourselves with each other. Since God has made us okay in Christ, we need to resist the temptation to believe anything else and tell ourselves instead what what the truth is. And we need to learn to be content with what we have um, and resist the temptation to base our our okayness on what we have or don't have in comparison to other people. And then that will allow us to rejoice in what other people have and resist the knee-jerk response to resist or, or to resent what others have that we don't. In fact, we can even get to the point where we say out loud and to ourselves uh, that we're really, we're really glad for what people have and we rejoice with them. Appreciate Nathan doing that. Um, he, he mentions a few ways we get caught in the undertow of comparison, but here, here are some others. Uh, someone at your work gets a promotion or a bonus or somebody in your family gets a bonus and your job stays the same, you don't get a bonus. Kind of happens. Someone gets a new car, just like in the commercials when the, with the bow on it, you know, with the big red bow. And <laughs> you're like, oh boy. You get back in your car that's old and it just broke down. And that's, that's rough. You, you see what kind of gifts people are buying for their family. You feel bad about what you're able to buy. You gave a great gift to someone, and what you got in return maybe maybe feel like it it was it devalued you this is This is what we do. this is how the holidays add stress. Um, we find a great deal of help dealing with comparison in the bible it, it, in fact, it just says don't do it just stop that's that's what the command to not covet is all about don't compare. And then in the New Testament, there are several places where it talks about comparison. Jesus told a story that helps us deal with comparison and the undertow of it and brings out really some realities that we just need to face if we're going to handle comparison the right way. Um, In his story, Jesus shows us how to overcome the waves of comparison. So I'd like to walk through the story with you. It's called the parable of the vineyard. And it starts in Matthew 20, first two verses. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day. A denarius was a coin that represented one day's wage. So they agreed. He said, you go work all day for a denarius. That was right. That was the right thing to do. And so he sends them into the vineyard to start working. Now, what happened is, and this was common practice, the the master of the house needed work in his vineyard, so he went to, like, the union hall or uh, to Home Depot where there's day workers. There's He, he went to find, because these guys were waiting. They were where they needed to be to find work. So he went to them, and he offered them to work in his vineyard for a day. This This, in the parable, the master of the house represents God. And how he relates to us in the midst of life. And so he, what you find is he has a, a, a heart to provide work for us and to meet our needs through the work we do. He, he wants to bless us. That's what Jesus is trying to show us in this. So he hires these workers at the start of what would be a 12-hour day, the 6 o'clock in the morning, when, when they would normally start to work. So he hires them for a denarius a day. And then Matthew 20 goes on. And going out about the third hour, this is 9 a.m. by the the, the way they told time or kept track of time. So he goes out about the third hour, 9 a.m. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour. This is 12 noon. And the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he did the same. Told them he would give them what's right for them. The first crew workers had an agreement, full day's work for a full day's wage. The second group, they had to trust the master of the house to do right by them. So they, they, they did, and they went out and worked. These guys have nine-hour work days, six-hour work days, three-hour work days. Goes on, verse 6, and about the 11th hour, this is 5 p.m., one hour left in the workday, he went out and found others standing by. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. The last group, they'd been waiting to be hired all day long. And so they're probably thinking, oh, this has been a waste today. I got passed over. I'll come back tomorrow and try to find some work. They had a one-hour work day. The master was gracious. Let them work. At the end of the day, it's paycheck time. And in this day and age, when this was written, you worked that day and you got paid for that day. So it's, it's time to get the paycheck. And Jesus describes this scene. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So he starts with the guys who work one hour. And, and then he goes to the ones he hired first. And when those who hired the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. <laughs> That's pretty cool. They work one hour. They get one day's wage. And the master, when he's handing out these uh, paychecks, he gives those guys who worked one hour the same thing he promised the 12-hour crew. 
And so, can you imagine what the 12-hour crew is doing right now? They're doing the math. That's awesome. They work one hour, they get a full day's wage. We're going to get 12 days pay. I can take a break for a couple days. I can have a weekend. I, I, I can think about what I could buy with 12 days wage. This is going to be amazing. And so they're, they're starting to let it roll. This is what I would do. I'm doing the math. I'm, in, I'm waiting in line. I'm watching, hey, they got a denarius. That's awesome. I'll take it. So the story continues. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them received a denarius. Oh. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. When the 12-hour crew receives their pay, they get the amount in their contract, one denarius. They get what they were told, and they are not happy. Notice their complaint. You have made them equal to us. This, this is the problem. We tend to think we have to be better than those around us to be okay. That's what Nathan was talking about in his video. Their expectations start getting the best of them. The comparison that's going on. Check out the master's response. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this, if, to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Here's my summary of the master's response. Stay vertical in appraising your circumstances in life. It's between you and God. Don't go horizontal. When you start going horizontal, you will go sideways. You will. See, as you're going through trouble, as you're dealing with hard circumstances, keep it between you and God. Don't compare. There is no wisdom, Scripture says. Nathan referred to this. There is no wisdom in comparison. You're not going to gain any understanding. You're only going to go deeper under the the, the current that's being driven by the comparison that's going on. Deal with your circumstances between you and God. Let's walk back through and pull out some lessons from this story. This is a great story. Master storyteller, Jesus. There are some lessons in here that show us how to overcome the waves of comparison. First of all, set reali realistic expectations. Now, those who were hired first, they came and they thought, the one-hour guy's got a denarius, I'm going to get 12, this is going to be awesome. Put your mind on a leash and don't let your expectations go. Keep them real. Hey, I agreed to work for a denarius, that would be right. It would be right to get a denarius, that's okay. That's right, the master can do what, whatever he wants. Keep your expectations real. Don't let the expectations go wild. To deal with comparison, we have to keep our minds on a very short leash and refuse to focus on things like 
the amount of praise I'm going to receive or the amount of praise I receive for doing a job well done compared to the praise somebody else receives for the same job. The reward I'll get in the here and now for the work I've done compared to the reward someone else gets. So set realistic expectations. That's the first thing. That's the first lesson. Those guys, when they started thinking, hey, I'm going to get more, they should have reeled it in. Another lesson that helps us overcome comparison is stop comparing when you start to grumble. Just stop it. You you can do that. You can direct your mind. It's a battle sometimes. It's a fight. I mean, you're in a real wrestling match with your mind when you start comparing. But fight. Stop it. And focus on what you have before God. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Boy, I've been out there. I did landscaping for a summer in Texas. 100 plus degree weather. Humid. It's hot. You're grumpy. At the end of a 12 hour work day, you're pretty grumpy. So these guys, but, but at the same time, you can control what you're thinking. You can reel it in. You can. So that's what we need to do. It's easy to start complaining when someone else gets the very thing that you wanted. This is something you've been long of. You've been dreaming. You've been really wanting it. That extravagant gift, a piece of jewelry or a car or the bonus or a meaningful outing with the family. Instead of grumbling in your heart, stop it and refuse to compare. Be happy for them. You can choose that. You really can. You can choose to be happy for the other people who have the very thing that you want. If you start to covet, just confess it to God. We do this. This is why the Tenth Commandment is there, because this is our tendency. So God's giving us a boundary. When you, when you run into the boundary of coveting and comparison... Just confess to God. He's forgiving. He's gracious. And ask him for his help to pull out of it. Make a list of all that God has given you and be grateful for it. If I list everything I deserve to have in this life, it's a big goose egg. Because of the way that I have chosen to to relate to God, I'm I'm a spoiled brat. In my heart toward God. I don't deserve any gifts that he's given me. And so if you start from zero, we have a lot to be grateful for. God's really blessed us. Frankly, I'm glad I'm breathing. (laughs) That's something to be grateful for. This is where we start. So thank God in gratitude for all that you have. The third thing we can do to overcome the wave of comparison is accept your current circumstances. And just accept them. But he replied, there, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. We have to keep our thoughts vertical on God's dealing with us and not horizontal by comparison, comparing ourselves with others. There's a helpful book written in the 1700s. It's a little tough to read. It's 
It was written in the early 1700s by a man named Thomas Boston. And very, very helpful. It's, it's because of the English, it's a little thick, but there's, there's an updated version you can get that makes it a little easier. But it's called The Crook in the Lot. And the subtitle of the, the book is God's Sovereignty and Wisdom Displayed in Our Afflictions. And he does a great job of helping us deal with our circumstances in life as opposed to what other people are dealing with and showing us God's purpose in it. Where he starts is Ecclesiastes 7.3. This is the sort of the backdrop of the book, the principle that he launches from and writes a whole book on. But Ecclesiastes 7.3, it's not on the screen, but it says... Who can make straight what God has made crooked? The crook. That's the crook in our lot. And he goes on to say, everybody has a crook in their lot. There's nobody on the face of the earth that escapes having a crook in their lot. And he goes on to start talking about how uh, this this crook, which the crooked, what, what that passage means and what he, he goes on to discuss is the crook represents adversity that continues for a long period of time, maybe even a lifetime. So everybody has something crooked in their life. And he talks about how God takes the crook and he uses it for our good if we will cooperate with him in it, if we'll trust him. And certainly comparison will take us sideways on that. But he, he talks about how to do well in life, we must accept our lot, our circumstances with its unique crook, with their unique crook. If we refuse to accept them and resent them, God isn't able to fulfill his purpose in them. My crook could be related to job trouble. Yours may be connected to relational trouble. Some may have a physical problem. Others, a financial struggle or catastrophe. Maybe your crook is related to a bad decision you made. Maybe somebody else's crook is related to a bad decision made by someone else. They didn't even have anything to do with it. But we all have something crooked. The way forward in life is not to compare my circumstances, my lot, with the lot of others. But it's, it's, it's to trust God with the circumstances we're living there is no understanding that comes by comparing my crooked place with your crooked place. No, no understanding whatsoever. We've got to stay vertical in this. We only make progress in life when we accept our lot before God and ask for his help to do right in the midst of it to bring him glory and to fulfill his purpose through it. And usually we can't see the purpose. We won't see the purpose in the crook for long periods of time. We have to walk by faith. We have to trust him. We have to rely on him. 
The waves of comparison will keep knocking us down and they will hold us there if we don't choose faith in the one who is who is doing what's right by us in the midst of life. We, we don't need to make sense out of our circumstances to trust God. In God's kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. Everything's going to be made right there in, in heaven. He has an upside-down way of rewarding people compared to the world we live in. So we trust him. When the ways of comparison are coming against us, we just stop. As I wrap up this morning, I'd like to give a couple of steps that you could take after hearing the message this morning. Um, here, here are a couple steps as the, the band comes up uh, to, to lead us. And as we prepare to receive the offering, you may want to mark one of these steps on your connection card that's on the back there or on your listening guide so you can remember. But my, my next step today is to read through Matthew 20, 1 through 16, and further reflect on how it applies to my life. Just ask God for help in understanding what it's saying here. And then another step could be to identify a wave of comparison and overcome it. Seek to overcome it. Ask for God's help to overcome it by applying this message. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word and how you really do bless us, God, beyond what we deserve. We are incredibly valuable to you because you, Jesus, stepped into this world to show us how to live, to die on our behalf so that we could have salvation. Thank you for what you've done. We honor you and we praise you and I ask for power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.